Welcome, welcome to another episode of Punt Intended, a fantasy NBA dynasty podcast hosted by Sports Ethos. I am your host today, Rhett Bauer, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer. Follow the show at Punt Intended Pod, no spaces or underscore. And today is mailbag day. We've been teasing it for a little while, and I brought my man David Williams from Ethos Grizzlies on here. David, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, man. That's uh, it's off season. I hate that it's off season. But I also <laughs> love it, right? Like as as a dynasty player, I get to dive into draft prospects and really kind of hone in my roster. You know, the, I, I've got a couple teams that were really good during the regular season, but I couldn't get over the hump in the postseason. So I'm hoping that I can find that hidden gem in the draft, and uh, and I'm hoping that I can ask you the right questions today to help me get over that hump. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is a man very upset that his Grizzlies are not in the playoffs. And so he's just diving and coping with the uh, draft film to cover up that. But we are excited <laughs> to have him here and get into some of these questions because you guys did send in uh, quite a few of them. And there's some some theory questions. There's some straight up. What would you do with this player? And then there's actually some uh, trade questions coming in as well as we blast this on Twitter while we're recording. But first, please make sure you rate interview this wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Google, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Uh, we love seeing your feedback in those places. And if you don't want to send a review and you just follow me on Twitter, just send me a DM there and we can, uh, Take your thoughts, suggestions, recommendations into consideration because I want to make this what you guys want from it. All right. Uh, number one question, and I got to start with this because it's Pacers related, so you can check that off your bingo card. Uh, where do you rank Tyrese Halliburton as an overall dynasty player? And David, I'm going to throw it to you first because I want to know what you think about my guy Halliburton. Uh, extremely high on him. I was um, during redraft last year. If I was mid late first round, I was taking Halliburton if he was there. So dynasty wise, his value is extremely high. He's hard to get. So if if you're gonna go after him in a trade, you're gonna have to pay for him because whoever owns him understands. And in Indy, he's gonna be the guy. So he's gonna have the ball in his hands. He's gonna be the decision maker, and he's proven you know good percentages. I I would love to see him make a few more threes, but you know like outside of that. He is going to be a very solid dynasty asset. Um, I actually, I don't have a board, man. That's something I am fairly new. This is season number three of dynasty for me. So I'm, I'm kind of, I've been playing redraft for a long, long time. And I just wanted the new challenge to get into dynasty. And it's really, it's truly a different game. And that's, that's something that I didn't expect. You still use a lot of the same knowledge base, right? Like you, you still want guys that are good, nine category guys but when you're in a 24 team league you're not looking at just top 75 or top 100 guys now you're really digging to find you know you're, you're kind of working the fringes a little bit more so it, it stretched me I, I would venture to say that you know like probably top 10 area i, I think oh, yeah. be a, a good place for halliburton because he's young so he's going to bring you value for a long time and i don't know where he ended up finishing overall this year but i think he had to be pretty close to first round value right uh yes tyrese halliburton was t- 
top 10 in per game value this year and was outside the top 50 in totals just because the Pacers uh, decided to start playing for ping pong balls rather than winning basketball games, but they still somehow ended up with seventh rather than five or six or I don't know. I don't want to go on a tanking rant. Like how do you, how are you bad at tanking? It's just silly. Uh, Halliburton was actually seventh per game this year, which is pretty incredible. Like you said, um, definitely a top 10 dynasty asset. The thing for me is he doesn't do it on like really high volume scoring. He does it as an offensive engine that is relatively efficient and has like a five to one turnover assist to turnover ratio, which is just absurd for nine cap value. So uh, I definitely have him top 10. I think I have him up at five last I checked. I'm going to pull up my dynasty rankings night now because he is so incredibly young. He, he, yep. I have him at five right behind Tatum, right ahead of Shea, which I know has been an argument that I've had with Matt Lawson a couple times because Shea just gets those defensive stats. But as we've seen from him, those defensive stats come and go. Whereas uh, Tyrese hits those threes, his field goal percentage is almost neutral. Free throw percentage is legit. He showed a level of shot creation that I don't think anybody expected from him. So I think you could pretty firmly have Halliburton in your top 10 and uh, up as high as five uh, would be pretty secure. I actually tried uh, talking with my guy, Los Rebels, uh, Zamora, uh, in a 30-team league. He's in the pun intended league. And I actually tried to trade for Halliburton uh, using Luca. And we just couldn't okay. get the we just couldn't get the other pieces to fall into place. I had to try to go after my guy Jaden McDaniels. So uh Zamora, if you're hearing this, Los Rebels, let's you can you can re-engage if you want. Um but yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of the level of player I put Halliburton at, which is pretty exciting to have both as a Pacers fan as a dynasty player, just looking at him. It's it's fantastic when you see a young player jump up like that. So, so I have a, a question. This may be a tough one for you to answer. Okay. If, if Halliburton was not a pacer, would he still be this high for you? Like, say that, that he would never he... left Sac- like he never left Sacramento, right? Because he still showed a lot of value in Sacramento. But this was one of the things where, okay, now he's got the keys. He'd still be a valuable dynasty piece. But do you think, like, is your the fact that you're a Pacers fan is that driving his rank up any for you? No, the fact. The only reason that it drives his value is because I see how much he is the engine for this team. Like it's not a fandom part of it. I I almost exclusively do not do that. The only time I do is sometimes for like the fringe guys, um, like O'Shea Brissett, and uh, you know I was pretty high on Andrew Nimhard and apparently not high enough. But like if if Halliburton was still on the Kings, no, he would not be that high because he wouldn't be getting those ten assists. He would still be in the seven ish range. It would kind of end up being like a Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell situation where they both kind of hurt each other. But if you put Halliburton on literally any other team in the league where he's the primary ball handler, you could put it into uh put him in Charlotte, put him in Houston, put him in uh, you know, where even uh a place like Boston, like even if he has like a Jalen Brown next to him, he's still going to be way, way up there. And that's why it's so easy to have him that high. It's like, even if they do get a high usage player next to him, like I said, he doesn't rely on high volume scoring. He's still going to run everything. And guess what? That high usage player is going to have some really, really good looks because that's what Halliburton does. So uh, my my uh, homerism does not come into play there, uh, even with a couple of Pacers jerseys over my shoulders. Um, let's move on to number 
Uh, this is a question that is just going to hurt me on like a personal level. Uh, what to do with Lonzo, Ben Simmons, and Jonathan Isaac? And uh, I don't know. Hold probably. Because like you can't. Like I, I bought Lonzo in one league for a 2024 first round pick from a team in a 30 team that is contending. I got second this year. That's a no brainer. That's a no brainer for me. Like I, if he never plays a game again, okay. The 25th overall pick in next year's draft also might never play a game in the NBA that turns into fantasy relevance. Uh, Simmons and Isaac, you just got to wait for them to have a healthy stretch and, and turn in some good games and find a guy that believes I would think. Yeah, that's I own Ben Simmons in a couple of spots because I felt like I got him at a good price. Yeah. And, you know, if he's healthy and he's playing, he can obviously bring you value. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, right now, that's a huge question mark with him. And so he, I even I offered him up. Uh, somebody had 110 that they were looking to move. And I just threw Ben Simmons at him to see if they would be receptive to that at all. Because the, in that league specifically, um, I think that somebody that I could get at 110 would would benefit me. Maybe not as much as Ben Simmons, but I also my faith in Ben Simmons is, is waning at, at this point. So it, it's tough with those guys because you know what they can bring if they're healthy. The problem is we've had a long stretch, specifically with Isaacs and Simmons here, where they just have not been been on the floor, and and Isaacs more so than than Simmons, obviously. Yeah, for sure, and it's. I mean, I've got him in way too many spots um, and I just can't, you can't really do anything other than hold. Like I I think I had somebody, uh, I don't remember what the offer was. It might've been like a, like, I don't think it was Nimhard straight up, but it was something like that where it was like basically treating Simmons like a a 150 ish asset. And I just can't do that. Like we know his fantasy game is ridiculous if he could play. And so I think I just roll with the upside unless you're in a, a really, really deep league and you just really want to get off that roller coaster. I couldn't blame you, but at 110, you're getting a guy like case and Wallace or Grady Dick, or, uh, you know, you could even get into the Keontae George or Anthony black situation, which is kind of, a decent spot to be for a guy like Simmons, even though in that situation, uh, I would hope that you're that maybe you get some lottery odds, which would obviously change the value of the pick, but then also that you can draft your team or draft your rookie after the NBA drafts. So you can kind of see where those guys go since that changes so much of the value for me. Yeah. And that's on, that's actually, that brings up an interesting, you, you said something draft your guy after the NBA draft. Are you in leagues where you guys do your rookie draft prior to the NBA draft? Uh, no, because I won't be in any leagues that do it like that. <laughs> okay. That's I was like, I thought I'm like, well, maybe that we, we don't either. We tell, we wait until, and some of my leagues, we wait till after summer league. Some of them were doing it before summer league, but I was like, man, that, that is weird. And I would not want to, you know, specifically, like number one this year is easy money, right? You you know who you're taking if you've got number one, and I'm pretty locked in at number two on yep. Scoot. Like I personally, like for an NBA team, I've convinced myself that I think I I would probably take Scoot over Wembenyama, and I know that that's that's a crazy hot take just because of the overall ceiling that that you see from Wembenyama, but. At his age, Scoot is able to manipulate the pick and roll at a level that's far beyond his years, and that's going to translate at the NBA level. 
And then if we're talking like fantasy wise, Scoot is going to have, I think he's going to have a elite defensive stats. So I think that he's going to be a really good, that you're, you're going to have early on in his career. I think you're going to have the same problems that you always have with young guards, turning the ball over, like the efficiency is not going to be as high as you would like it to be. But I just, I like a lot of the tools that Scoot has. And I think that a guard that can run the pick and roll as well as he can, can completely change a franchise. And I just feel like the floor on him is safer than the floor on women. Yama. I, I don't disagree as vehemently as a lot of people might. I think that as a reality player, Scoot will end up pushing Wimbenyama because he is an offensive engine. Like he is an absolute, like as a physical, like just looking at him as a 19 year old, you're like, if this is what you are at 19, like what does your prime look like in six years? Your physical prime look like in six years. He is strong and big and at six, four with like a six, nine wingspan is legit. And he is making some reads, like you said. So as, an, as like, you know, Wimby is, a, is, a, is in a class of his own, as far as like the impact that he could have on an NBA court. I, that the body of that, like that type of body is just terrifying. Like it just genuinely is. Whereas Scoot is more traditional in that regard. There's a ton of guys who do, what they would do great things in the league with his kind of body. And you know, that a primary ball handler is the hardest thing to find in the NBA. And those are the players that change your franchise. And I think that a guy like Chet and Wimby, it's going to be interesting to see what they do for teams uh, moving forward. But I do think for fantasy, the blocks that Wimbanyama is going to get alone is just going to be enough. Like that's, that is just going to do it. I think he, uh, Scoot, I think, would have to have like 12 assists a game to equal the amount of blocks that I think Wimbanyama is probably going to get in the NBA. So that I think that's a little bit uh, for fantasy. I don't see that working out. But if you have injury concerns, I can't really talk you down off of that. And so I could I could see it if you want to make that argument. I just I still think it's pretty clearly Wimby, uh, which kind of gets into another question from my guy Huntrell who's always active on Twitter and I appreciate that he said the hype surrounding Wimby is intense are you holding and drafting 101 or are you selling for a package if selling what are you targeting I'll hang up and listen thanks um I would say that Wimbanyama is pretty firmly like a top five dynasty asset right now so am I trading Luca for Wimbanyama no Am I trading Luca for Wimbanyama Plus? Still probably no, but it's it's definitely more of a hesitation there. Uh, I think it would depend on what somebody is offering you. I've had some people where it's like, oh, I can get uh what's a what's a good oh, I can get Ivy and seven overall. No, that's not really close, actually. Um, you would, I think somebody said, it's like, oh, I can get one, zero, three, one, zero, five, and a couple future firsts also still no. like you would need to get a legitimate top 20 player. And then more on top of that, like if you're not getting a Chet, a Paolo, uh, a Garland's probably slid outside of the top 20 right now, but like guys along that level of youth upside production, 
um, and just value across the league, you're, you just shouldn't do it. Like you should, you should probably just make the pick and go from there, especially when you know, it's Wimby. So it's not like you, you have to be in a rush. Like you can still draft him at one zero one and somebody's still going to want to trade for him just like they did before the draft. So you have so much time. The hype is going to get insane. Summer league is going to be insane. So if you are going to make a move, they better treat it like a top three dynasty asset, which I don't think a lot of people understand the price that that takes. So I'm, I had one, one, I got lucky in a lottery. I finished just, I finished three slots outside of the playoffs, end up with one, one, and I traded it. I traded one, one. I had a, a roster with some guys that had some injuries and I had some pretty good pieces, but I was like, I really want to compete in this league. Like I was, I was right there with the roster that I had. And I'm like, if I can trade this for a package that gets me a couple guys, that's going to make me competitive. And I ended up, I gave up Wimby for, uh, it was Alperen Shingun, uh, Jalen Brown, and Zach Levine. That was a package I got for 1-1. There was nothing else attached to 1-1. It was 1-1 for those three. And I ended up flipping. Like, as soon as I finished that trade, I get an offer for uh, Zach Levine and Shingun. Guy offered me Joel Embiid. So I flipped essentially one, one for Joel Embiid and Jalen Brown. And I'm, I'm happy with that. Like, am I going to regret it in a few years? Almost certainly. (laughs) It's, you know, like does Embiid win the MVP and then have like a huge regression. I don't expect that to happen, but I wanted to compete. And that move allowed me to put myself in a position to compete so I think a lot of it, right, like your team composition has to make a difference on, on what you're going to take for that. But the the way that I approach it, I had some other offers for it, and I just flat out told the guys, I'm like, this is, if you're sending me an offer, you're sending me an offer for a guy like Luka or a guy like Jokic, like that you better come with a package like that or I'll keep 1-1. One, one. And so that that I felt pretty good about the, the Shingun and, and not that I was looking to move him after that that trade, but when when the guy sent it over, I'm like, yeah, I'll take a, a top five guy on my roster for next year to go along with the other pieces that I have because I think that that can make me pretty competitive. I believe I said no to that when you asked me about it, but I am notoriously lower on Shingun than most, but turning him into Embiid and Jalen, that's pretty darn good. Like that's, that's the type of deal that I need. Like that is a top 20, top 15 ish dynasty asset in Embiid, and then a top 30 to 35 ish dynasty asset in Jalen. Okay. And those are two very good competing pieces. Um, the last couple of years, I, I put this out on my, on my, on the pun intended Twitter feed. I was like, I'm so impatient when it comes to rebuilding. So I have a lot of teams that will have bad picks and I will immediately move them. Like I, the last three years I've traded the picks that became Chet, Paolo, Jabari. um, And then I think, I think it might've ended up being Mobley too, but like it was, there was still lottery chances. So it was still, it was kind of a weird evaluation system, but I got AD Harden, jaw and like a couple other things and so i was like okay i'm just gonna do that like oh and then this last one i got i traded like seven ish five ish for jabari smith terry rogier a 23 first and a 24 first 
So I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I've got a team that's built to win. I just happen to have a bad pick. And so um, that's the sort of thing. And I, I think those discussions are always so fascinating because it is eye of the beholder. And it is always something where some guy is going to get psyched about a prospect and, and, and they're going to go all out trying to get them. And so if you can capitalize on that, it's always a fun thing to do. And maybe you'll regret it. But if you win the title in the next couple of years, that's kind of what we play for, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So next question, this one's from Scott. He's in, uh, he's in actually, I think all of the dynasty leagues that I'm in, uh, his is about Kevin Porter Jr. He said, are you, are you bullish or bearish on KPJ? Longtime listeners of this podcast know this answer and it does not get any different with, uh, extra years on it. I am not a Kevin Porter Jr. fan. I don't think he's a starting player in the NBA. He's best suited as a sixth man and he has a, I think fully non-guaranteed contract for the next couple of years. Like if at any point the Rockets are like, mm, nope, done. He's just gone. He'll still get signed because he he has been putting up some numbers and he is an NBA player. There was some concern when he got to Houston that he wasn't because he had the, the locker room issues and he had some issues at USC, I believe as well, even before his draft that caused him to slide. And I'm just not really interested in rostering players that have like extreme character concerns that caused them to slide in a significant way in the draft that also presented themselves in the NBA. Like if you've got issues as a college student, like as a teenager, okay, that happens. You make mistakes. But then if you get into the NBA, you're making millions of dollars and you're on an NBA team getting NBA minutes and you still have issues that is a red flag to me. And so I think he's worked past that a little bit. I'm not trying to say he still has that sort of stuff, but I would, I wouldn't have Kevin Porter Jr. on my roster because I would have sold him high each of the last two years. But if you do still have him, I would be trying to move, even though it's possible he's still the starting point guard, quote unquote, for the Rockets this year, uh, assuming they don't get Scoot or Harden. All right. So we, we kind of already addressed this, but I, I think I want to reword this a little bit. It, it's about Wimby, and you were talking a little bit about his value. The question was specifically like, would you trade your best player to move up to get Wibanyama? So if it, we're talking one for one trade, where's that line for you? Like, who who would name off some guys like one hundred percent not trading this guy straight across for Wibanyama? I, I don't think I'm doing Jokic, Luca, Lamelo. I'm probably not doing Tatum, Halliburton, or Shea either. Just because those guys are 25 and under and legit, legit cornerstones for their franchises that are very durable. They play both sides of the ball. Halliburton, not so much both sides of the ball, but he's an engine that's not going anywhere. And they are they are like MVP, all-NBA level players. I'm just not really interested. And they have fantasy-friendly games. Like all of those guys finished like top... 10-ish. Like, I know Wimbanyama is going to be insane if he if he hits. Like, if he hits, that makes it sound like I don't believe he will because I believe he will. But, like, I'm just not interested in taking a gamble when I know for a fact that I have a top 10 per game producer that's under 25 years old. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm wrong. I'll gladly take Tatum, Halliburton, or Shea for that sort of stuff. And I would consider... Anthony Edwards, like flirting with that line. I just don't think his fantasy game is going to be that friendly, like top 10 friendly. 
Um, even though I love Ant as a player, I think that's the kind of line I would have. Like I would trade, I think I would trade Giannis for him for Wimby if I had a team that was kind of trending down or wasn't like an absolute favorite to win. I would trade Cade for Wimby, Trey for Wimby, Mobley, uh, Embiid, uh, Mitchell, yeah, Booker, Garland, Paolo, Towns, AD, yeah. Pretty much it's those six, uh, Jokic, Luka, LaMelo, Tatum, Halliburton, Shea, and Ant, I could hear an argument for, but I would do it. Yeah, yeah, I think that, so for me, Anthony Edwards is definitely a yes. Like, I, I, I like his game. But I, I just think, you know, we were talking about the blocks earlier and how much weight those blocks are going to carry. Yep. And, and that's that's definitely – and, you know, I, I say that being one that traded women Yama, but, like, my my mindset behind that trade was being competitive. Like, I took over – I came into this league. I was part of a district – like, a, a dispersal draft. And so my roster was crap. And I moved some pieces around. I really like Bam. And so I made a, a move to get Bam. And I'm like, okay, he's a guy I'm going to keep on my roster because of his age and what he brings. And then I'm going to move some other pieces around. Ended up getting some picks and getting lucky, like hit the lottery. I had like the seventh or eighth worst, worst odds to get the number one pick and landed it. And so that that allowed me to to put my team in a better spot. Um, let's go to the Twitter question. We, we had put uh, – Put out the the feelers before we started recording. Um, how about Tyrese Maxey? It's a question. Quirks, Quirks Z, the Quirks Z on Twitter asks. Um, Maxey potential with Harden still on the roster. I haven't been very high on Maxey relative to the field. I would say um, I have a tough time with guys who rely on scoring and volume. Like, I don't think Maxi's peripherals are very good. I don't think he's a great rebounder. I don't think he's he gets a ton of steals. He's obviously not going to get a ton of blocks. His efficiency is pretty good for a guard. But, like, what if, – if Harden is still on the roster, yeah, he gets less defensive attention, but he also plays at Harden's pace, which is not Maxi's pace. Uh, Maxi likes to fly up and down the floor, which is awesome, but Harden is obviously going to be super deliberate. I think his ceiling is still – relatively high uh he's 23 he's not even 23 years old yet so like obviously he's going to be hitting his prime way after james harden is no longer on this roster whether he's he gets moved or leaves this offseason or not but i don't like do we think that tyrese maxi can get to like a fred van fleet level of fantasy production where it's just like elite steals elite threes elite assists elite free throw percentage obviously a better field goal percentage is that, but like, you know what I mean? Like, do you see him getting to that kind of level? I don't. And uh, that's kind of why I'm, I'm a little bit lower on him than most, but he's still very, very good, very young. So I could be wrong. I think that, you know, the biggest thing in fantasy that happens, that there are so, you know, across nine categories and we're, you know, when we're just, for me, when I'm discussing it, I play primarily nine cat leagues, so guys to to get to that level like that first round level you can't be terrible in in defensive stats you can't have super high turnovers and low efficiency so 
your free throw percentage matters, your field goal percentage matters. And, and if you look at Tyrese Maxey, like the, the field goal percentage for a guard, you know, 40, he's, he's 48% for his career. The free throw percentage, it's, it's low volume, but 86%, like that's going to be, that's okay. But then when you get into his defensive stats, he's only, he's combining for one total defensive stat. And when I'm doing a redraft league, I won't draft a guy if his if his combined defensive stats don't add up to 1.5. I'm not touching him because those every category has weight, and I just don't think that Maxie's going to be elite enough in those other categories because of his lack of defensive stats. Like Halliburton is not elite in the defensive stats, but he's going to get you 10 plus assists. That's assists are hard to come by. He's going to have low turnovers. Like there's going to be things that carry Halliburton's weight. And I, and I just don't know that Maxie is going to have another stat other than, than scoring that is really going to drive his value up. You know, the, the 2.73s, that's a nice stat, but you look at rebounds, it's less than three, his assist, right at three. Those numbers are not going to elevate him enough. Um, I do like him, um, but he, he's not a guy that that I would have to roster at all. Uh, Halliburton had two combined defensive stats this year for the record, 1.6 steals, 0.4 blocks. But I'm just poking fun at you. No, I'm just saying like, yeah. uh, you know, what What did Freddie, what did Freddie Van Vliet average? Um, oh, like I'm pretty was, sure he's been at like 2.5 for the last three years. Like 1.8 steals has been pretty average for him, and he gets a surprising amount of blocks for a guard. So he's definitely over like 2.2, 2.3. So he's he's up there. Um, one thing that I'm looking at, okay, so like look at Maxi, small guard. Like, is he going to be Dame Lillard? Because like that's the kind of production he's going to need to have to like really hit the fantasy ceiling that it seems like people are expecting from him. 32 points, four and over four threes. But even Dame, 4.8 boards, 7.3 steals, 0.9, uh, 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 oh my gosh, 7.3 assists, 0.9 steals, 0.3 blocks, 46 from the field, 91 from the line. Like, is that what Maxi's going to do? Is just be points, threes, assists, and free throw percentage? Is he going to be? Is he going to weigh that heavily on all those categories that he he just locks in some fantasy value that elite? I have my doubts. Quarks just came through with eight in outlook. My eight in outlook is way down. I don't know what the heck is going on with him for fantasy. It's probably not going to matter because he's probably going to play 30 minutes a night, no matter where he's at. And he's probably going to get 20 and 10 decent efficiency, no threes. Okay. Free throw percentage. And he might get a block. Like he's going to have okay fantasy stats, but golly, that man looks absolutely disinterested in playing basketball at a high level and is still having issues with Monty Williams. And so, uh, I would, I would just be watching that a little bit as the, uh, as the, the offseason goes through, because it seems like he's due for a move, but maybe that'll help revive his career. But it also could just be he just doesn't like playing high level basketball. Yeah, I'm I the thing that I'm not as concerned, I guess, as you with him. Like I can definitely see some of the points that you're making, but I just kind of go back to the way that Phoenix treated him, man. You're like they did not offer him a contract until somebody else did. Like that, they were trying to negotiate, and I get it. Like it's kind of a semi, like it's a business, and they were making a business decision. But it's like, yeah, they matched that deal, and they kept him on their roster because that's the way that the league is structured. And it's like, yeah, they have him there 
but did they really want him to to stay there? And I think that that, that weighs on a guy, you know, like if you're looking at it for me, if I was in that situation, it's like, okay, if you were okay with signing me this deal, why did you wait until somebody else offered this to, to put the deal on the table? And I know there are a lot of logistics that, that go into that, that we don't know what was on the table for him and what he turned down and all of that. But I think that that can definitely affect it. So I wouldn't, I definitely would not be against a change of scenery, but if you see the same kind of lackluster effort from him with a change of scenery, then I would be moving off of him as quick as possible. Bigs are hard to find. So like in deep leagues, I would definitely be still happy to have him because he's pretty decent percentages. Like I said, obviously great field goal percentage and doesn't kill your free throw percentage and centers are hard to find. So I'm not like panicking, but I used to think that he could be like up inside the top 30 for a dynasty asset because I thought like, oh man, he got 1.5 blocks. If he picks up his volume everywhere else, he has okay passing just like he gets an assist or two. Like that's a really good fantasy player, but it just does not seem like he is the type of player that is like a lock to be like a franchise type guy. Obviously he's not a franchise player, but you know what I mean? Like he's not in the, the big three, so to speak. It seems like he's kind of more on that. Like honestly, kind of like the miles Turner level player, like is miles Turner in your big three. You're probably not thrilled with that, but like, He's a really good player, really valuable player in real life and fantasy. So um, and that's in just a kinda, deep league. He can win you a category by himself. Yeah. And, so. and again, yeah, like I said, efficiency obviously is a big deal. And so not killing your free throw percentage is awesome, but uh, definitely not panicking, but definitely not as optimistic as I once was. We've got uh, Robin asking, uh, should we be worried about Brandon Miller's associates and legal issues? Uh, I don't really want to give an opinion on this. I don't think so because he didn't get charged with anything. And I did mention earlier that like, Hey, when you're a teenager and you're in college mistakes happen, obviously this is a huge, huge mistake and bringing guns to anything in that way is just crazy, uh, crazy dangerous. And obviously a poor decision on his part but I don't know that much about what happened. I'm sure NBA teams are going to do their due diligence. And I think the NBA teams willing to invest in him will give us all the confidence that we need as dynasty managers to do the same. Um, I don't think he should be knocked too far because of that. Even as somebody who really takes all this off course stuff seriously um, in my fantasy teams. And I just will not roster certain players, but I don't really have that much of an issue right now with Brandon Miller, unless something else comes out or there's some piece of this that I'm missing. So, so let me flip that a little bit for you. Dynasty draft wise, where does Brandon Miller rank for you? Uh, I think I have him four right now. I think I have him behind a man Thompson. Uh, I, I still haven't decided yet. It's like, it's three, four, five for me. Uh, Jarris Walker, Amin Thompson, and Brandon Miller. They're all, there's such a variety of fantasy games there, but they're all going to be producing across every level. Uh, and then my guy, Taylor Hendricks, is going to be up there as well. But I'm not, he, I'm not taking him over Scoot in fantasy. Absolutely no chance. Um, one and two is, is locked in for me there. But uh, I also don't see him falling too far back because he is 
the player that every team needs. And so, you know, like even as a dynasty manager, like he's going to play, like, and he's going to play a lot and he's going to get shots up and he has, he showed some passing. He's got defensive tools. Like the, the, the player is there, the building blocks, the tools are all there. So uh, I'm not really letting that change my mind as much as far as a fantasy draft goes. All right, uh, go to another Twitter question. This is from uh, at Grizz Tony. I was, I was in one dynasty league with him. And then uh, over the break here, he's joined a few others. Are you taking Darius Garland or pick one, three? If one three has lotto odds that typically come with one three, I'm taking one three. But if it's no, no, just no, like it's already lot lottery's done. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so it's okay. Yeah, Darius Garland or pick number three. I am probably taking Garland still, um, but I wouldn't argue too much with you if you wanted to take three. Uh, I think if I could get some intel around the league and find out if somebody was going to take Brandon Miller second, that I would uh, absolutely take three and go with Scoot and be psyched about that. But um, it's the same thing as what we were talking about with Wimby, right? It's the certainty of Darius Garland being a 23-year-old starting point guard that is efficient and plays with and without the ball. Um, even though his fantasy contributions this year were a bit muted because he played next to Mitchell, he was just inside the top 50. So that's obviously not great, uh, for like for the third best prospect in this draft that does have some fantasy friendly games in it. But I think I'm still probably taking Garland, but admittedly big fan of the certainty over the mystery box when it comes to players of Garland's caliber as uh, dynasty assets. All right. Uh, one more from Scott. He says, who are some second or third year players that you would expect to see a breakout from next year? Yeah. Uh, I think if you guys listened to me last year, when I did something like this around the trade deadline, I said, Trey Murphy, which Score one for the good guys. Uh, And so my candidate along those lines, I think, so for third-year players, I think it's going to be Jalen Johnson. We saw him in the playoffs, and we saw quite a drastic shift from Nate McMillan to Quinn Snyder, which is crazy. Who would have thought that Nate McMillan doesn't play his young players and stunts their development and doesn't actually care to do anything but win regular season games and then flame out in the playoffs? I'm not a salty Pacers fan. I'm just glad the rest of the league is seeing it. Um, And so he's got a very friendly fantasy game. Quinn Snyder trusted him in some big, big spots. And it seems like the Hawks are going to do something, right? Like they're going to do something, whether it's Clint Capella and Onyeka Okongwu. Maybe it's John Collins finally getting up out of there. I don't know. But Jalen Johnson would be a good one. It might be a little tough to get him out of there, get him uh, from his manager right now because he did play well in the playoffs, which is always – uh, it does a, a great deal for a guy's uh, fantasy stock when that happens. Um, another guy, do you have somebody off the top of your head that you want to toss out there? Uh, no, I, I didn't really have anybody. He, he sent this question and there's some guys, I don't know, like Jalen Johnson, I think is, is a great example because I felt like he's, He's just been buried. He's been buried on that team. And it's like, yep. w- when is he going to get his run? And the talent is there. And that that's what that's what you look at. The guys that that have the talent that you know, like their first round picks, 
and they just haven't had the opportunity. And then, you know, you could also argue on the, the opposite side of that is, well, if they had the talent, why are they not getting the opportunity? But that's where the, the context of knowing who that coach is matters yeah. a ton. Yep. And that, that I've had this conversation about McMillan. Uh, Tom Thibodeau is a guy that doesn't yep. really like to play young guys. And I, I own Obi Toppin in almost yep. all of my dynasty leagues because I believe when Obi Toppin actually gets unleashed that he is going to be like, there's going to be some volume driven stuff there with him, but I think that he's going to bring fantasy value. Cause I think his field goal percentage is going to be good. I think he's going to rebound the ball. Well, and I'm just holding on to him because Thibodeau is a guy like look at all the talent, look at the the guys that he has on that roster that he hasn't been playing. And then when you finally see IQ get some run, what what has he done with that? And that's all. It's not about the talent that those guys have. It's about the coaching strategy. Um, so I don't know what 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 year is Toppin now? Toppin's like year like four, four or five. Yeah, yeah. I think he'll so be he's, going he's into not, four next year. He's not a second or third year guy, but I I think that um, you know Toppin has seen a, a few more minutes from Thibodeau, and I, and I think that you get more of a run next year from him. But I also never want to make a prediction on a Thibodeau team because <laughs> you know it, it, yeah. it's just uh, you know. I'll be holding R.J. Barrett stock until he's no longer playing next to Julius Randle on a franchise that cares more about the sixth seed than developing the third overall pick. But um, another couple of guys, maybe not as much of a breakout as Jalen Johnson and guys that are pretty well known at this point. I still believe in Chris Duarte being a legitimate NBA player, like maybe not starter, but contributor and his value is incredibly low right now. And I would not be surprised if the Pacers moved him in a draft night deal or just in general throughout this off season. Obviously he's 24 years old. Uh, maybe he's actually 25 now. Obviously that's a, a very old player. So I'm not saying go out and get him at all cost. Uh, Moses Moody's starting to get a little bit of extra run, which is awesome. Corey Kisper is a guy who gets you decent field goal percentage and free throw percentage with threes and points. I always like guys like that at the end of my bench in deeper leagues. Um, last guy of that group, I'll never give up on Isaiah Jackson. Uh, it's just it's not going to happen. But <clears throat> transitioning over to second-year players, we're going to avoid all of the obvious names. It's like, hey, guess what? Jalen Williams is going to be better next year, and so will Keegan Murray. Uh, Dalen Terry, Usman Jang, and uh, who's the other one I was just looking at? Um, I actually have one. Go ahead. I've been out in. Yeah. So Usman Garuba. Mm, there you go. And this is like, he is the best defender on that Rockets team. Low but bar, then, but yep. Yeah, like, yeah, but I mean, he he's a good defender, period. Yes, yes he is. And I think that his defensive stats alone are going to bring him fantasy value. I don't think he's a guy that you're going to see just like blow up and be like a walking double, double or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, we're talking dynasty, deeper dynasty leagues. He's a guy that can really help you around the fringes. And I think that his, his defensive stats alone, because Udoka and his defensive mind, I think Garuba is going to get a lot of run with that team. And you saw him getting some minutes at the end of this year. And so he's a guy from the Rockets that I think you could see get a bump in, in playing time. And that's going to translate into him giving you maybe even borderline elite defensive stats. 
Yeah, I can see him being along the lines of like a Nerlens Noel type fan favorite of the podcast, where it's just like I, I don't think he'll get to Nerlens level because I don't think he's going to get twenty five minutes a game. But you know, Nerlens was getting by on one point seven blocks, one steal, and elite field goal percentage, and low volume free throws. Like that is all you need to get some sort of fantasy value out of a guy. So I like that call. Generally hesitant to in, uh, invest in players on a team like Houston that's just got so much talent they don't know what to do with it and they're pretty dysfunctional. But um, it's it seems like they're going in a direction that might clear some things up in that regard. So we will see how that goes. Um, another guy that obviously I love Dyson Daniels, but I think he's a bit too high profile. Jabari Smith, I'd be trying to buy just because I I believe in him as a impactful real life player and he's better than what he was with the Rockets where they didn't run anything for him, which is just wild. Um, and then I don't think there's anybody else who's going to be like extremely, extremely relevant. Um, Christian Coloco is a maybe depending on the direction that the Raptors go in. If they decide to really, really pivot, then that's going to be huge for him. Josh Minot for the Wolves is awesome, but I think he's pretty, uh, pretty well discussed at this point because his G league contributions have just been pretty unbelievable. Um, but I think that's kind of it of those guys, unless somebody else is standing out to you as we, as you go through it. No, I was kind of flipping through just to see if anybody else jumped off the page. Obviously like as a Grizzlies fan, I would love to be like, Oh, Zaire Williams is going to yeah. be that guy. And, be and I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I do believe that he has a better year, but I don't know that a better year for him equals fantasy relevance. Right. Um, although I'm I'm not giving up hope because I do own him in a few places, but uh, he's not a guy that I'm going to sit on here and be like, yeah, he's going to be your breakout player. Right. Uh, and then I will give this question, even though I already answered it in the DMs. My guy Los Rebels again comes through asking if I still take Mark Williams over Shaden Sharp in the rookie draft. And we actually talked about this already, so I, I don't want to linger on it too long, but I had Mark Williams eighth and that was in like mid to late June. Uh, obviously things changed a lot since then. And they changed even the next month where I dropped Mark Williams down to like 12th and I moved Shaden Sharp up a good amount. I, I think we are looking back with rose colored glasses on the downside of Shaden Sharp. Like we did not know anything about him and so would I go back and change it? Obviously. But will I change my pre-draft process getting to that point where we didn't have any information? Probably not. Like I'll, I'll be a little bit more willing to believe in players like Shaden Sharp when a guy who is doing draft stuff for ESPN leaves that position and then goes to take a uh, goes to take a job with the Portland Trailblazers who just happened to be in the range to draft Shaden Sharp who he was notoriously high on like yeah I'll believe in a guy that has a a, a scout who does this for a living put kind of all of his eggs in that basket. Like he literally put his money where his mouth is. So if, if I see any moves like that, um, yeah, but I don't think we're going to have a prospect like that come through. I mean, maybe we will, but what are the chances we see a guy where it's like, Hey, you've got six high school games to go off of, and he might be a top five pick thoughts. Like I don't see a situation where we get that again. And if we do, maybe I'll try to learn something from it, but I'm still probably going to be hesitant to take a guy like Shaden Sharp top five in a draft where there are good fantasy prospects when we don't know anything about him. 
I was digging in numbers here, just kind of looking to see. And, you know, he, he had that run when, uh, whenever by like the last 10 games of the season, yep. where he's taken, you know, 19 field goal attempts a game, shooting. Seems sustainable. From, yeah. Like <laughs> that, that's, if they, they lean completely into a rebuild, is he going to get that kind of volume? I think a full rebuild still in crew, like Anthony, Anthony Simons is still going to be on that team. And so the odds of him getting this many shots in a game when that team is healthy and not in full tank mode, I don't think that you see that. So like, I I don't feel like it was super far fetched to have a center who is going to have good field goal percentage. He's going to get you blocks and he's not going to absolutely destroy your free throw percentage. Like that's not something like, Oh my God, I can't believe that you've done that. Yeah. Like Shaden sharp kind of turned a corner at the end of the season, but I'm willing to bet you right now that you're not going to see him average 18 shots a game like that, that that he's not going to have that kind of volume to bring that kind of value. Not for, I mean, maybe down the road, maybe as he develops, he ends up being that guy. But I, I think that that's a few years down the road, like in the next, next two or three years, you're not going to see that kind of volume from him if ever. Yeah, um, I am high on Sharp as an athlete and as a shot creator. His it, the the way he moves, the way he jumps, and the way he's been able to get his shots off at the NBA level, despite not playing organized basketball for quite some time, is extremely impressive. You can't deny that. And I would not put a bet on uh, Anthony Simons guaranteeing to be on the Blazers going into next season. I think they are due for some shakeups, and it seems like they want to get sharp in there as much as possible and they only have so many assets to do it so that's another team that's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch i went through and i did not see any more questions at the moment so unless you have another one i think we are about ready to wrap this up i've got two actually the junk time it was another twitter twitter question this one's very specific it's a trade uh but since we're taking questions, it is a mailbag. We'll go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, junk time. Ask which side of this trade do you prefer? And, and we don't. Uh, number one, we don't know how many teams are in this league, so that's kind of tough to to weight it. But uh, we're gonna throw it out there anyway. Uh, Drew Holiday and Bojan Bogdanovich versus PJ Washington, PJ Washington, Quentin Grimes, the ninth overall lottery odds in this year's draft, and then pick number forty five overall. That's PJ side very easily for me. Uh, I think Drew is obviously the best player in this group, but I think PJ Washington is still somehow has an underrated fantasy game because Charlotte is an absolute disaster. Uh, but I like Boyan Bogdanovich is kind of a non-factor for me in this. Like I would take Grimes over him immediately. So then you're looking at PJ Washington and the ninth best lottery odds in a class that has some prospects that I kind of like out to the 10 spot. You have lots to maybe move up to one through four. Drew is obviously on the back end of his career. Like if you're if you're a contending team and you want to go in and get Drew, I can see it. But I would just want a piece that I I trusted more than Boyan uh, in this regard because I I think giving the ninth pick for Drew, like Grimes and nine for Drew, that's a that's a considerable deal, I think, for some people. If you found the right manager, um, I personally wouldn't do that, but my teams are more often built to compete. But uh, I would take the PJ Washington side of this fairly easily without any of the context that usually ends up mattering in this sort of stuff. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. And and lottery odds are just that. You know, you, yep. you never know. 
just the the possibility like say you got ninth best and you end up winning that lottery well then you got pj washington grimes and Wibanyama for drew holiday and yeah and he, even even beyond that if you get a guy like brandon miller uh either one of the thompson twins mm-hmm. um even a guy like a sore could fall to to nine yeah like, yeah like Who's the kid out of um I can't think of it, Whitmore. He's having oh, the yeah. issues. Villanova, like he's yep. having some some injury issues right now. But like, I think that was Whitehead. I, well, I think it was Whitehead. Tariq Whitehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah from Duke. That's, that's who I was thinking of. Yep. Uh, Whit, uh, Duke, that, yeah. Duke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Got them mixed up. My apologies. But you know, like I like his game and I think that he maybe not year one is gonna bring any value, but you can find a guy in that even if you stay at nine in this draft, you can find a guy that's going to have a friend, a fantasy friendly game. And then that trade is completely lopsided to that PJ Washington side. And then the the last question that, that I want to ask you, this is kind of more of, I guess, a, a theory question or maybe strategy kind of depending on how you want to look at it. One of the things that I've really struggled with transferring from the redraft leagues into dynasty is determining value of picks versus the value of players. And so when you're when you're addressing that, when you're I know you said most of your teams are kind of geared to compete in leagues, but if if you're in a league and say you take over a team and it's just a terrible team, so you're trying to rebuild. How do you determine value? Like what what uh, what are some parameters that you would use whenever you're determining value of a pick? Lottery odds obviously matter a ton. I think the size of the league matters a ton. Your roster, like how far away are you from contending? Like did you tank? Did you actively tank? Because a lot of people did this year. I was one of them. I, I fully admit I have Levine, Ingram, DeJounte, Fultz, Laurie Markin and OG Ananobi all in a 30 team league. And I had the sixth worst record and I traded that for Jamari Smith, Terry Rozier. So I was going hard, but like, if you have a, if you have a team like that, it was, I didn't tank like that hard all the way through. There were some injuries early on in the year where it was like, all right, I'm trying to win and I'm still bottom 10. So we'll just stop trying to win. Um, But yeah. So like, if you have, for instance, there's another team that I, I took over and then dropped the league, uh, it had uh, Aiton as the best player and then Sexton as the second best player. In that And I had 101 and like 108. In those situations, I'm probably not trading either of those picks because I'm so far away from contending. It does not matter. I need to take the shot at Wimbanyama. I need to take a shot at a guy like a sore Thompson being there at eight or uh, Whitmore falling. Like I-, I need to take as many shots as possible unless there's somebody who is trading me a player who could realistically be in the draft class. Like, right. Like Darius Garland could, could be a player in this draft class. Like obviously that's very old. That's not a great com- comparison, but like if you've got a guy who's offering like, Hey, Anthony Edwards for t- two overall. Yes, I'm taking Anthony Edwards. If you get like Chet, Scotty Barnes, um, you know, even a guy like Giddy, who is very young, Jabari Smith, Jalen Dirt, like there are guys who are young that I would trade picks for if I really liked their game and I didn't like where the pick was. But the 
the lottery odds matter a ton and the historical precedence for players that are picked number one overall, number two overall, number three overall. I'm actually going to be working on a tool for this for Sports Ethos that I'm hoping can be out uh, this offseason because I think it's fascinating looking at the last 10 drafts and seeing where those players ended up as dynasty assets and as like per game producers and the uh the history of number one overall picks is very very good you are almost almost guaranteed a top 25 dynasty asset from a number one overall pick and that is being like that's being conservative on the projection so people get psyched up about picks this time of year i value them because you value them and that is kind of where i look at it like you can kind of tell when somebody is like foaming at the mouth to get a pick and at that point take them for all they're worth and take the uncertainty out of it unless you're in a situation where your team is just absolutely atrocious and you need to have a long-term approach good stuff i appreciate it man thanks for having me on you know it's your show i was asking you questions but uh, no i love it th- th- this is fun i uh i hope that we can get together and do a live stream and we, we had some questions kind of flow in through twitter mm-hmm. here at the last minute and then I-, I sent some fillers out in my leagues and that's where a lot of my questions came from so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah for th- sure for- we uh we we do appreciate all the live questions i appreciate you guys' feedback with that it was just the timing between my life being crazy david's traveling there's nba playoffs going on so like i'm pretty sure no one wants to listen to me talk while they could watch lakers warriors uh so like i i am self aware enough to know better than that but we will definitely get something together um and and keep this keep this going cuz it is fun to answer your guys' questions especially as we get into draft season and off season where things are just going to be flying all over the place changes are going to be made and we will have all of them thank you guys very much for tuning in we will see you again next time